This is Chapter 4 of George Hamilton's A Voyage Round the World in His Majesty's Frigate Pandora, read here by Roy Schreiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Voyage from the Wreck to the Island of Timor. Everything being ready on the following day, at twelve o'clock, we embarked in our little squadron, each boat having been previously supplied with the latitude and longitude of the island of Timor, eleven hundred miles from this place. Our order of sailing was as follows. In the pinnance, Captain Edwards, Lieutenant Hayward, Mr. Rickards, master's mate, Mr. Packer, gunner, Mr. Edmonds, captain's clerk, three prisoners, sixteen privates. In the red yawl, Lieutenant Larkin, Mr. George Hamilton, surgeon, Mr. Reynolds, master's mate, Mr. Matson, midshipman, two prisoners and eighteen privates. In the launch, Lieutenant Corner, Mr. Gregory Bentham, personer, Mr. Montgomery, carpenter, Mr. Bowling, master's mate, Mr. McKendrick, midshipman, two prisoners and twenty-four privates. In the blue yawl, Mr. George Passmore, Master, Mr. Cunningham, Boatswain, Mr. James Innes, Surgeon's Mate, Mr. Fenwick, Midshipman, Mr. Pycroft, Midshipman, Three Prisoners, and Fifteen Privates. As soon as we embarked, we laid the oars upon the thwarts, which formed a platform by which means we stowed two tier of men. A pair of wooden scales was made in each boat and a musket-ball weight of bread served to each man. At the meridian we saw a key bounded with large craggy rocks. As the principal part of our sustenance was in the launch, it was necessary to keep together both for our defense and support. We towed each other during the night, and at daybreak cast off the tow-line. At eight in the morning the red and blue yawls were sent ahead to sound and investigate the coast of New South Wales, and to search for a watering-place. The country had been described as very destitute of that article of water, but on entering a very fine bay we found most excellent water rushing from a spring at the very edge of the beach. Here we filled our bellies a tea-kettle and two-quart bottles. The pinnace and launch had gone too far ahead to observe any signal of our success, and immediately we made sail after them. The coast has a very barren aspect, and from the appearance of the soil and land, looks like a country abounding with minerals. As we passed round the bay, two canoes, with three black men in each, put off and paddled very hard to get near us. They stood up in the canoes, waved, and made many signals for us to come to them. But as they were perfectly naked, had a very savage aspect, and having heard an indifferent account of the natives of that country, we judged it prudent to avoid them. In two hours we joined the pinnace and the launch, who were lying to for us. At ten at night we were alarmed with the dreadful cry of breakers ahead. We had got amongst a reef of rocks, and in our present state, being worn out and fatigued, it is difficult to say how we got out of them, as the place was fraught with dangers all round, for in standing clear of Scylla we might fall afoul of Charybdis, the horror of which, considering our present situation, may be better understood than expressed. 
after running along we came to an inhabited island from which we promised ourselves a supply of water on our approach the natives flocked to the beach in crowds they were jet black and neither sex had either covering or girdle we made signals of distress to them for something to drink which they understood and on receiving some trifling presents of knives and some buttons cut off our coats they brought us a keg of good water which we emptied in a minute and then sent it back to be filled again they however would not bring it the second time but put it down on the beach and made signs to us to come on shore for it this we declined as we observed the women and the children running and supplying the men with bows and arrows in a few minutes they let fly a shower of arrows amongst the thick of us luckily we had not a man wounded but an arrow fell between the captain and the third lieutenant and went through the boat's thwart and stuck in it it was an oak plank an inch thick we immediately discharged a volley of muskets at them which put them to flight there were however none of them killed we now abandon all hopes of refreshment here this island lies contiguous to mountainous island it may be observed that the channel throughout the reef is better than any hitherto known we ascertained the latitudes with the greatest accuracy and exactness and should government be inclined to plant trees on those sandy keys particularly the outermost one it would be a good distinguishing mark and many difficulties which captain cook experienced to southward would also be avoided the coconut tree on account of its hardy nature and the norfolk and common pines might be preferred for their height rendering the place more conspicuous the tides or currents are strong and irregular here as may be expected from the extending reef the shoals and the keys and its vicinity to the endeavour straits we steered from these hostile savages to other islands in sight and sent some armed men on shore with orders to keep pretty near us and to run close along the shore in the boats but they returned without success this island we called plum island from its bearing an austere astringent kind of fruit resembling plums but not fit to eat in the evening we steered for those islands which we supposed were called the prince of wales's islands and about two o'clock in the morning came to an anchor with a grappling alongside of an island which we call la forays island as the night was very dark and this was the last land that could afford us relief all hands went to sleep to refresh our woe-worn spirits the morning was ushered in with the howling of wolves who had smelt us in the night and were prowling for food lieutenant corner and a party were sent at daylight to search again for water and as we approached the wild beasts retired and filled the woods with their hideous growling as soon as we landed we discovered a footpath which led down to a hollow where we were led to suspect that water might be found and on digging four or five feet we had the ecstatic pleasure to see a spring rush out a glad messenger immediately dispatched to the beach to make signal to the boats of our success on traversing the shore we discovered a moray or rather a heap of bones 
There amongst them were two human skulls, the bones of some large animals, and some turtle bones. They were heaped together in the form of a grave, and a very long paddle supported at each end by a bifurcated branch of a tree was laid horizontally alongst it. Near to this there were marks of a fire having been recently made. The ground about was much footed and wore, whence it may be presumed feasts or sacrifices had frequently been held, as there were several footpaths which led to this spot. After having gorged our parched bodies with water till we were perfectly waterlogged, we began to feel the cravings of hunger, a new sensation of misery we had hitherto been strangers to from the excess of thirst predominating. Some of our stragglers were lucky enough to find a few small oysters on the shore, a harsh, austere, astringent kind of fruit resembling a plum was found in some places. As I discovered some to be pecked at by the birds, we permitted the men to fill their bellies with them. There was a small berry of a similar taste to the plum, which was found by some of the party. On observing dung of some of the large animals, Many of them were found in it in an undigested state. We therefore concluded we might venture upon them with safety. We carefully avoided shooting any bird, lest the report of our muskets should alarm the natives, whom we had every reason to suspect were at no great distance from the number of footpaths that led over the hill, and the noise we heard at intervals. Sentinels were placed to prevent stragglers of our party from exceeding the proper bounds, and when every other thing was filled with water, the carpenter's boots were also filled. The water in them was the first served out on account of the leakage. There is a large sound form here, to which we gave the name Sandwiches Sound, and commodious anchorage for shipping in the bay, to which we gave the name Wolf's Bay, in which there is five to seven fathom of water all round. This is extremely well situated for a rendezvous in surveying Endeavour Straits, and were a little colony settled here, a contentation of Christian settlements would enchain the world, and be useful to any unfortunate ship of whatever nation that might be wrecked in these seas, or, should a rupture take place in South America, a great vein of commerce might find its way through this channel. Hammond's Island lies northwest and by north, Parker's Island from north and by west to north, and by east, and an island seen to the north entrance northwest. We supposed it to be an island called Mountainous Island by Captain Bly, laid down in latitude 10, 16 minutes south. Sandwiches Sound is formed by Hammonds, Parkers, and a cluster of small islands on the starboard hand at the eastern entrance. We also called a backland behind Hammonds Island and the other islands to the southward of it Cornwallis's Land. The uppermost part of the mountain was separated from the main by a large gap. Under the gap lowland was seen, but whether that was a continuation of the main or not we could not determine. 
Near the centre of the sound is a small, dark-coloured rocky island. This afternoon at three o'clock, being the 2nd of September, our little squadron sailed again, and in the evening saw a high-peaked island lying northwest, which we called Hawkesbury's Island. The passage through the north entrance is about two miles wide. After passing through it, saw a reef. As we approached, we shallowed out our water at three fathom, but on hauling up more southwest, we deepened it again to six fathom. Saw several very large turtle, but could not catch any of them. After clearing the reef, stood to the westward, mountainous island, or north, half-east, Captain Bly's West Island, which appears in the three hummocks, north-northwest, a rock northwest at the southwest extreme of the mainland, south and by east, and on the northernmost cape of New South Wales, south-southeast, and to the extreme of the land in sight, the eastward, east, half-north, a small distance from the entrance to the nearest of Prince of Wales' islands. We discovered another island, and which we called Christian's Island. Saw two hummocks between Hawkesbury's Island and Mountainous Island, but could not be certain whether it was one or two islands. We now entered the great Indian Ocean, and had a voyage of a thousand miles to undertake in our open boats. As soon as we cleared the land, we found a very heavy swell running, which threatened destruction to our little fleet. For should we have separated, we must inevitably perish for want of water, as we had no utensils to divide our slender stock. For our mutual preservation, we took each other in tow again. But the sea was so rough, and the swell running so high, we towed very hard, and broke a new tow-line. This put us in the utmost confusion, being afraid of dashing to pieces upon each other, as it was very dark in the night. We again made fast to each other. The tow-line breaking a second time, we were obliged to trust ourselves to the mercy of the waves. At five in the morning, the pinnance lay to, as the other boats had passed under a dark cloud. But on the signal being made for the boats to join, we again met at daylight. At the meridian we passed some remarkable black and yellow striped sea snakes. At the afternoon of the 4th of September, we gave out the exact latitude of our rendezvous in writing, also the longitude by the timekeeper at this present time in case of unavoidable separation. On the night between the 5th and the 6th, the sea running very cross and high, the tow-line broke several times, the boat strained, and made much water, and we were obliged to leave off towing the rest of the voyage, or it would have dragged the boats asunder. On the 7th, the captain caught a booby. They sucked his blood, and divided him into twenty-four shares. The men who were employed steering the boats were often subject to a coup de soleil, as every one else was continually wetting their shirts overboard, and putting it upon their head, which 
alleviated the scorching heat of the sun to which we were entirely exposed most of us having lost our hats while swimming at the time the ship was wrecked it may be observed that this method of wetting our bodies with salt water is not advisable if the misery is protracted beyond three or four days as at that time the great absorption from the skin that takes place from the increased heat and fever makes the fluids become tainted with the bittern of the salt water so much so that the saliva became intolerable in the mouth it may likewise be worthy of remark that those who drank their own urine died in the sequel of the voyage we now neglected weighing our slender allowance of bread our mouths becoming so parched that few attempted to eat and what was not claimed was thrown into the general stock we found old people suffer much more than those that were young a particular instance of that we observed in one young boy a midshipman who sold his allowance of water two days for one allowance of bread as their sufferings continued they became very cross and savage in their temper in the captain's boat one of the prisoners took to praying and they gathered round him with much attention and seeming devotion but the captain suspecting the purity of his doctrines and unwilling he should make a monopoly of the business gave prayers himself on the ninth we passed a great many of the nautilus fish the shell of which served us to put our glass of water into by which means we had more time granted to dip our fingers in it and wet our mouths by slow degrees there were several flocks of birds seen flying in a direction for land on the thirteenth in the morning we saw the land and the discoverer was immediately rewarded with a glass of water but as our cup of misery was not completely full it fell a dead calm the boats now all separated every one pushing to make the land next day we got pretty near it but there was a prodigious surf running two of our men slung a bottle about their necks jumped overboard and swam through the surf they traversed over a good many miles till a creek intercepted them when they came down to the beach and made signs to us of their not having succeeded we then brought the boat as near the surf as we durst venture and picked them up in running along the coast about twelve o'clock we had the pleasure to see the red yawl get into a creek she had hoisted the english jack at her masthead that we might observe her in the running down the coast there was a prodigious surf and many dangerous shoals between us and the mouth of the creek we however began to share the remains of our water and about half a bottle came to each man's share which we dispatched in an instant we now gained fresh spirits and hazarded everything in gaining our so much wished-for haven it is but justice here to acknowledge how much we were indebted to the intrepidity courage and seamanlike behavior of mr reynolds the master's mate who fairly beat her over the reefs and brought us safe on shore the crew of the blue yawl who had been two or three hours landed assisted in landing our party a fine spring of water near to the creek afforded us immediate relief 
As soon as we had filled our belly, a guard was placed over the prisoners, and we went to sleep for a few hours on the grass. In the afternoon, a Chinese chief came along the creek in a canoe, attended by some of the natives, to wait upon us. He was a venerable-looking old man. We endeavored to walk down to the waterside to receive him, and acquaint him with the nature of our distress. We addressed him in French and in English, neither of which he understood. But misery was so strongly depicted in our countenances that language was superfluous. The tears trickling down his venerable cheeks convinced us he saw and felt our misfortunes, and silence was eloquence on the subject. He made us understand by signs that without fee or reward we should be supplied with horses, and conducted to Kupang, a Dutch East India settlement about seventy miles distant, the place of our rendezvous. This we politely declined as the nature of our duty in the charge of the prisoners would not admit of it we took leave of him for the present after receiving promises of refreshment soon after crowds of the natives came down with fowls pigs milk and bread mr innes the surgeon's mate happened luckily to have some silver in his pocket to which they applied the touchstone but would not give us anything for the guineas however anchor-buttons answered the purpose, as they gave us provisions for a few buttons, which they refused the same number of guineas for, till a hungry dog, one of the carpenter's crew, happening to pick up an officer's jacket, spoiled the market by giving it buttons and all for a pair of fowls which a few buttons might have purchased. All hands were busied in roasting the fowls and boiling the pork, in the evening we made a very hearty supper. We were regaling ourselves round a large fire, when some beast gave a roar in the bushes. Some who had been in India before declared it was the jackal. We therefore concluded that the lion could not be far off. Some were jocularly observing what a glorious supper the lord of the forest would make of us, but others were rather troubled with the dismals. This gave a gloomy turn to the conversation, and our minds having been previously much engaged with savages and wild beasts, and our bodies worn out through famine and watching, I believe the contagious effect of fear became pretty general. From Bly's narrative and others, we had been warned of the dangers of landing in any other part of the island of Timor but Kupang, the Dutch settlement as they were represented hostile and savage. It is customary with those people, as we afterwards learnt, to do their hard work, such as beating of their rice at night, to avoid the scorching heat of the sun, and the whole village, which was about two miles off, joined in the general song, which everywhere cheers and accompanies labour. As they had made us great offers for some cartridges of powder, which our duty could not suffer us to part with, we immediately interpreted this song as a war-hoop, and concluded that they were going to take by force what they could not gain by entreaty. Nature, however, at last worn out, inclined to rest. The first lieutenant and master went on board the boats, which were anchored in the middle of the river, for the better security of the prisoners. 
and, ranging ourselves round with our feet to the fire, we went to sleep. At dawn of day the master gave the huntsman's hallow, which some, from being suddenly awakened, thought they were attacked by the Indians. We were all panic-struck, and could not get thoroughly awaked, being so exhausted and overpowered with sleep. Most of us were scrambling upon all fours to the river, and crying for Christ's sake to have mercy upon them, till those who were foremost in the scramble, in crawling into the creek, got recovered from their plight by their hands being immersed in the water. Yet those who were the foremost in running away were not the last in upbraiding the rest with cowardice, notwithstanding there were pretty evident marks upon some of them, of the cold water having produced its usual effect of urination. Next day we went up the creek in one of the boats about four miles to one of their towns with the intention of purchasing provisions for our sea-store. As we entered the town, the king was riding out, attended by twenty bodyguards, well mounted and respectably armed. He passed us with all the sang-froid imaginable, scarce deigning to glance at us. In purchasing a pig, the man finding a good price for it, offered to traffic with us for the charms of his daughter, a very pretty young girl. But none of us seemed inclined that way, as there were many good things we stood much more in need of. At one o'clock, being high water, we embarked again in our boats for Compiègne. We sailed along coast all day till it was dark, and fearful lest we overshoot our port in the night, put into a bay. After lying some time we observed a light, and after hallowing and making a noise, the natives came down with torches in their hands, waited up alongside of us, and offered their assistance, which we accepted of in the lighting of fires and the dressing of victuals we had brought with us, that no time might be lost in landing or cooking the next day. At daybreak we again proceeded on our voyage, and at five in the afternoon we landed at Coupang. The governor, Meinherr Vagnon, received us with the utmost politeness, kindness, and hospitality. The lieutenant-governor, Meinherr Fry was likewise extremely kind and attentive in rendering every assistance possible and in giving the necessary orders for our support and relief in our present distressed state. The next morning being Sunday, as we supposed, the 17th of September, we prepared for church to return thanks to Almighty God for his divine interposition in our miraculous preservation but we were disappointed in our pious intentions. For we found it was Monday, the 18th, having lost a day by performing a circuit of the globe to the westward. The end of chapter 4 of A Voyage Round the World in His Majesty's Frigate Pandora by George Hamilton